This morning we really do want to lift up Jesus. Uh, we're praying and believing that we will all have a fresh glimpse of who he is and what he's done for us. And our title is, What Are You Feeding On? So we're going to start and we're going to just trust the Holy Spirit to lead us through this morning. And we're going to trust that the Holy Spirit will meet with us in a fresh and a new way. And we're reminded, and we've been saying this over recent times, but we've been reminded that in John's Gospel, that John's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 20 to 31, that it speaks there a lot about how uh, that Jesus did the signs that we would believe. That is the... Uh, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by, by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. That's what it says in John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. So we are, we are wanting to remind you of that, that, that the, the miracles that Jesus did were so that people would believe on him and receive him and find the life that, that Jesus spoke about so often in John's Gospel. He speaks about, he, I am the way, the truth and the life and how real living and real life is about is only to be found in Jesus. So just reminding you of that, that that's what we've previously talked about. And we're going to just read now, uh, we're going to turn to John 6 and we're going to actually go through this chapter today. There'll be bits and pieces of reading but we'll break it up and we're going to trust the Holy Spirit to catch your imagination, to catch your mind, to keep you, you just in tune with what God wants to say to you, that nobody will drop off to sleep, that nobody will go into a trance or anything, but that we will all be alert and open to what God wants to say to us today. So I want to read these few verses to you from John chapter 6, and we're starting at verse, 32, verse 22. Remember that Last week we talked about how he had fed the 5,000 and then he had, he had still the storm. So we're going to read what happened after that. After feeding the 5,000, it says, The next day the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Do you remember they went on their own and Jesus came walking on the water? So several uh, boats from Tiberias had landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? They didn't know at this stage that he had been walking on the water and had uh, landed on the other side. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understood the miraculous signs, but don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. And they replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? And Jesus told them, this is the only work that God wants from you. Believe in the one that he has sent. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna whilst they journeyed through the wilderness. 
The scriptures say that Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. So we're just going to look at this first wee bit together. And just reminding us that after you know, feeding the, the 5,000 and calming the storm, that the people were continuing to search after Jesus, but for all the wrong reasons. They were looking for signs. They were looking for miracles. Uh, they, were, they were seeking what they, how they could do what Jesus did. What are the works we can do? And, and really, they were seeking Jesus for all the wrong things. Uh, and, and, and you see, people very often uh, want to be able to perform miracles. And, and people very often want to know, well, how can I work my way to salvation? How can I make God love me more by working? And Jesus says, it's not about working. It's not about working for salvation. And it's not about working to gain more favor with God. It's about believing it's about resting in him. It's about believing. And you know, for all that we need, if it's salvation, if you've come here today and you don't know Jesus as your saviour, let me tell you that he loves you. That he has paid the price to save you. And he is longing, not that you would work harder or that you would, uh, that you would do something to sort of prove that you're a good person, but he's just longing for you to believe that he died for you. That when he died on the cross, his blood was enough to pay the price for your sins so that you could be received into fellowship, into the family of God, washed clean of every sin, past, present and future. That's a gift. The Bible says that salvation is a free gift and it comes by believing, by taking by faith and believing that God doesn't tell lies. And he says, if you come to me, I'll not cast you out. We're going to read that verse somewhere along today in chapter 6, John chapter 6. He's a God who is longing for his people to really believe. That's why we love to pray in the prayer room, because we pray believing that God will answer, and God loves us to believe in him. And you see, the trouble is that so often we get caught up on works, or we're looking for miraculous signs, instead of simply believing on God. So that's the first point we want to make. And then we're going to move into the next bit, which is moving into verse 32. And you'll see the title is the I Am Statement. Because throughout John's Gospel, we're going to find that there are about seven places where Jesus says, I am. And we're going to see over the next weeks the different things that he says, I am. Today he's saying, I am the bread of life. And so let's just look at this and let's read from verse 32. I told you there'd be a right bit of reading, but that's okay. Verse 32, God's word is so powerful that just in reading this word, it can pierce your heart and actually give you an answer or guide you or correct you or speak to you in any number of ways. So Jesus said, verse 32, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. It wasn't Moses that did the miracle. It was his father. He said, my father did. And now he, he offers you, that's his father, God. He offers you true bread from heaven. The manna in the wilderness wasn't it. The manna in the wilderness fed them physically as they traveled through the wilderness. But it was a beautiful picture of how Jesus would come to feed us and take us through the journey of life. He says, the true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. And Jesus replied, and here's the key phrase, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. 
Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. That's the verse I was referring to. You come to me, I'll never turn you away. I will never reject you. That's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful truth for us to grasp. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. You see, when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, just those words, just those two words, I am would have caught the Jewish heart and mind. Those Jews would have immediately remembered the Old Testament where God came to speak to Moses and where Moses said, what's your name? What's your name? And we believe it was Jesus as the Godhead spoke to him and said, I am the I am. The one who holds everything together. The one who is not I was. The one who is not so much I will be. But I am the ever present, powerful God of the universe who humbled himself and came down from heaven, came down down here to humble himself and to go to the cross, even to die the death, even the death of the cross. What a God that we have. And Jesus was saying to these people, you're talking about Moses feeding you in the wilderness. It wasn't Moses that fed you. It was my father who fed you. My father cared for you and took you through the wilderness, and he did. And in fact, I, there's a place in the Old Testament, I think it's in Exodus, where it says that as he took them through, there wasn't even one of them who was sick as they went through. He cared for them, he clothed them, he provided food for them, he, he gave them water out of the rock. And all of that journey in the wilderness is a wonderful picture of what Jesus came to do. He came to be the true manna, the true bread of life, the one who was coming down, God coming down to be flesh, coming to show the world what the Father looked like, coming to show the world, I'm, I'm, I'm coming as one with my Father and I'm coming to show you what my Father is like. And he was the one who fed you all those years through the wilderness. They were thinking it was Moses He's he's very beautifully telling them, no, it wasn't Moses. It was my father who came. And and he's saying, and it's my father who has sent me to come down to give you this true bread of life. And then the people said, sir, you notice I read it, give us this bread every day. They wanted this bread every day. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The I am had spoken. Remember whenever Jesus met the woman at the well, he spoke to her about the living waters, about how he could give her a water that she'd never be thirsty again. He could quench her thirst. And I'm telling you that this world is crying out in dissatisfaction. The world is craving after something to quench their thirst and quench their hunger for reality and to know true love and to know true purpose in this world. That is what the world is crying out for. And Jesus says, I'm the one who came to give you that. I am the true bread of life. And the Jews, of course, immediately sat up up and listened because it was clear to them at that moment that Jesus was actually saying, I am 
I'm the Old Testament God. I'm the God of the Old Testament in flesh. I mean, that was a mind-boggling thing for them to begin to take in because they were used to the Old Testament and they saw God as being someone who was, who was way out there. And Jesus says, but he loves you so much. My God, the one who fed you in the wilderness, your heavenly Father loved you so much that he has sent me, his Son, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Godhead are three in one. They move together. They are one, and yet they're all moving together in harmony and beauty and love. And Jesus is saying, whoever believes in me should have eternal life and be raised up at the last day. Now, you'd think that the Jews would be jumping up and down with joy over this, wouldn't you? But actually, what's, what are people, what are we like? What are they doing? Instead of jumping up and down with joy, they're complaining because they're nitpicking, because they're, they're trying to, because they can't understand it, because it's outside the box and it's outside their realm of understanding. They're trying to bring God down into their little box. And so the Jews began to complain. I want to read the next bit to you, John 6, verse 41. We're getting through this chapter rightly, aren't we? Um, and it says here, um, 31, Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? But Jesus replied, Stop complaining about what I said, for no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws me draws them to me and at the last day i will raise them up as it is written in the scriptures they will all be taught in by god everyone who listens to the father and learns from him comes to me not that anyone has ever seen the father only i who was sent from god have seen him i tell you the truth anyone who believes has eternal life Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. Imagine, we will never die. Our soul is going to live throughout eternity with God. That's enough, girls, to waken us all up this morning. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise that person at the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them I live because of the living father who sent me in the same way anyone who feeds on me will live because of me I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. The Jews complained. Now, I want to read this bit to you. 
because I think it's going to just catch it and I don't want to be going all over the place. I want to catch this truth. I'm going to read this with you from your notes. Because the people had grown up with Jesus and knew his parents, they wouldn't accept that he was the son of God. So they grumbled when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. They felt their intellect was all that was required for them to make a decision about Jesus. But all the time Jesus was teaching them, it wasn't only about their decision. It was about his father drawing them. You see, there's a mystery about human responsibility to choose and God's part to draw us to himself. I think that's a pretty awesome thought. Because some people think, ah, oh, I just wait until the end and I just decide whenever I want to, I can get saved whenever I want to. I'm just going to live any old way and it doesn't matter. And sometime or other, whenever I feel like it, I'll just decide then I'm going to ask Jesus to be my saviour. Do you know what? It doesn't actually work like that. This is a two-sided relationship. And Jesus makes it very clear here that unless the Father draws them, verse 44 Uh, This is in the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. Stop complaining about what I said. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. This is a two-sided relationship. And you see, it's a bit like marriage because because you fancy somebody doesn't mean they're going to marry you. Isn't that right? Isn't that a two-sided thing? And there has to be one side is attracted and loves that person, but the other person is attracted and loves that person. So they both come together in marriage. And it's very similar. That's why I think marriage, the Bible teaches that marriage and the bride and the, and the husband is a great picture of God and his bride, the church. Because we come to him and, and we, we are drawn by his Father and the Holy Spirit draws us to himself. But then we must choose. And you see, if you want me to give you chapter and verse for this, well, John 3, 16 is one of the best known verses in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only beloved son that whosoever would come unto him should not perish but have everlasting life. So it's the whoever. So whoever can come to Jesus. There's an invitation to all of us. And that's why I love this uh, Alpha, because I really encourage you to bring somebody along to Alpha. I did it a couple of years ago, brought a few people and journeyed with them throughout Alpha. It was a joy. It was, it was an amazing experience. And God was working in hearts. And, and if you know of a few people who might come with you, come along and be part of it here. Because the, the invitation is to the whosoever will may come. God embraces everyone. He puts his arms out to the world. He died for the world and he says, whoever will come. But the other side of the coin is that that the Holy Spirit and God the Father draw us to himself. And, And Jesus is saying very, very clearly, Except my father draw you, you cannot come. So there's a two-sided relationship. And, and I love, um, I give you John 3 and 16 for the whosoever, but I want to give you John 15 and 16 where, where, uh, where Jesus says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And you see, God chooses us. And the two sides of the coin is that, that the, 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 when a couple are about to be married, the girl has chosen him and he has chosen her. And, and they come together and they want to be one. And it's a beautiful picture of Christ and his church. And every time I think of that verse, 
you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. I'm always reminded of Anne, Anne, you pictured. Remember, we called her, she called herself Big Anne. And Anne was big in every respect. And she was, she, her story was so beautiful because when she was a whole lot younger, she and her husband Charles, they were out and out addicted to alcohol. They had no furniture in the house. They used to go out and look around the streets for butts. They lived a life where the enemy had stolen from them. And one time, she went down to uh, St. Concilio's, down in Uri, down to the drug rehab centre. And in there, she was in desperation in her lowest point, And she heard a, a tape recording of the word of God. And they were just somebody reading the scriptures or reading the gospel of John. And they came to this bit where, where the reader said, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And the Holy Spirit broke through into Anne's heart. And she realised that God always had his hand on her and he was choosing her to give her life. And in that moment, Anne found Jesus and her life was transformed. And later on, she and, and her husband, who's also, we call him Big Charles as well, don't we, the two of them? What a big couple. The two of them went over to, they went away over to Russia and they went over there to carry the message of the good news to people who were suffering from, who were feeding on alcoholism and, 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 and having the enemy stealing from them. That was their experience. This is a real thing. This is real. God really changes lives. God's life can transform our lives. And God wants us to know he is the God who chooses us and he wants us to choose him back. But many of the disciples were the happy now. Had they got it? Not a bit of it. Let's read on. John 6, verse 60. Where it says in verse 60, uh, verse, yeah, verse 60, many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. <laughs> There's lots of things hard to understand, isn't there? This is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? And Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. Do you hear that, girls? If you're stressing or you're striving for something or some situation, human effort accomplishes nothing. Stop your stressing and stop your striving and start believing. But some of you do not believe me, Jesus said, for Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, are you also going to leave? But Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Can you imagine God in flesh coming down to this world which is so full of, of sin and, and so full of depravity and, and the people are picking and choosing and, and, and the people are questioning him and actually turning away from him. They're, they're turning away from Jesus. And, and I just love the fact that, that Peter, Peter was the only one, it seems, that actually spoke out and declared that, that God was, that he was God and that he was who he said he was. I want to 
uh, maybe just read to you from uh, Peter's uh, epistle, because as an older man, he comes back on this again, and he says in 1 Peter uh, 2, verse 24, here's what he says about Jesus. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. We see that that Peter really caught hold of the truth that day. Peter really got it. The people couldn't understand. And it seems like when he was talking about eating and feeding of his flesh and drinking of his blood, it seems that the people were thinking that was what it meant, literally. And it seems that, you know the way when you think of that, you think of it, of cannibalism. And it seems that they were turned away and, and, and repulsed because they were thinking, this is like a cannibal act, this can't. And they were turning away from God. And, and it kind of breaks my heart when I think of the Saviour and all his love and all his goodness. And he's standing before them and he's saying, he's saying to his own disciples, a lot of these other disciples that weren't part of the twelve, they'd already deserted him. But he's saying to his own 12 disciples, are you, going to, are you going to leave me as well? You know, that just breaks my heart that Jesus came in the, in the body of a human being and made himself so vulnerable to ask them, are you going to leave me? I mean, that, that absolutely blows my mind to think of that question. But you see, Jesus... Jesus knew that the words that he was speaking was turning them away. But did you notice that he said, the words that I speak unto you are spirit and they are life. You see, he, he wasn't speaking literally. His words were spirit and his words were life. Jesus was not suggesting that his disciples had to physically eat his flesh and drink his blood in order to be saved. But he was speaking about receiving and partaking of himself through faith. He was back to this whole question of believing him, resting on him. That's what he meant by eating his flesh. It meant spiritually eating and absorbing his word. Now, I want to just at this point to remind you that way back in Matthew 6 and in a few other places in the Gospels, that Jesus had given a prayer for his disciples to pray. Do you remember? He, they prayed, he taught them to pray, Our Father. And remember that one of the lines in that prayer was that we were supposed to ask God for our day, give us this day our daily bread. And so the disciples, it seemed, had understood that aspect. And I want to say to you, ladies, that this is so important because we need daily bread. We need to be eating God's word. We need to be trusting him. We need to encounter him every day. We need to absorb the truth of the word of God every day. And it seems that the disciples were able to understand that aspect of it a little bit better than communion, which is what we're going to come to. But I want to say to you at this point that it is so important that we read the word. I was speaking to somebody recently and they said, oh, you know, I don't want to be legalistic, so I just feel, you know, I just dip in here and there uh, rather than having to read it every day. And I was saying, you wouldn't skip your dinner. You wouldn't skip your, you know, your tea or your breakfast. 
It's so important. We need food physically, but we need food spiritually. And Jesus said to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And the bread, here is the bread, it's in the living word of God. For his spirit makes the word alive and comes to us and teaches us and corrects us and feeds us. And as we feed on God's word, something happens. We are changed as we experience and we encounter Christ through reading his word. Because his name is the word of God. Jesus is called the word. And when we read the word by the spirit and open ourselves up for the Holy Spirit to speak to us through the word of God. I tell you we have an encounter with Jesus himself. And something happens that is supernatural. Now Jerry sent us a wee thing through there recently. It was a, uh, if anybody wants it, we'll send it out to you. A wee recent study that was done uh, from an organisation in America called Centre for Bible Engagement. And they took a random group of people in America, 40,000 people, and they were aged between 8 and 80. And they, 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 uh, they, the reason for doing this was to find out uh, through this survey how people were engaging with Scripture. Now, as they did the survey, they actually discovered something that was quite profound because they made this discovery that if somebody opened the Bible and read it once a week, maybe that was a church where the Bible was opened and read or just on their own once a week, that there was very little change uh, for a one-time one read. And then they discovered that, for, and this, according to the survey, that if someone read the Bible twice a week, there wasn't, it was negligible, there wasn't much if they read it three times a week, it seems that and they, there was like a, they described it as like a little blip, like a little bit of a heartbeat of life if they read it three times. Uh, but here's the big thing that they found. For people who read the word four times or more during the week, it seemed that the graph, you know what we're following this graph, it spiked dramatically. And uh, they discovered, it, they said it actually went off the chart and that they began to realise that something happened with people who read the word of God more than four times a week. Four times or more. Uh, something radical happened. And here's what they found according to the survey. That people who were feeling lonely when they read the word four times a week or more. That those people, the number of those people dropped 30%. They discovered that people who had anger issues, that dropped 32%. They discovered that people who were bitter about something, about a relationship or in a marriage or some other relationship, they discovered that that dropped 40%. And for people who had alcohol problems, who were alcoholics, it dropped 57%. And for people who felt spiritually stagnant, that dropped, to 60, that dropped by 60%. But here is the thing. And, and people who were engaging in pornography of some way, that dropped 61%. But here is the thing, the other side of it was, the flip side was, that the people that were reading their Bible more than four times a week, they discovered that they began to, sh they began to start to share their faith. And that went up to, up, it jumped up to 200, by 200% that people began to share their faith. And, I'm, and they actually said they began to believe it was because people were, absorbing the word they were being changed themselves and they were being lit up themselves so they wanted to share and that 
studies showed that, that people who did that went up 200% and that people who started to actually disciple other people went up 230%. This book, this word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit is living and supernatural and it will change your life if you take it seriously. But a lot of us are dipping in and it's a bit of a dipping up what we read today, I think. Instead of eating and absorbing, this is what Jesus is talking about in these verses. And, and these disciples just couldn't understand what he was talking about. They were able to accept praying for daily bread in some way, but when he began to speak about his flesh and his blood, they really could not understand it at all. And so these people were deserting him. Uh, but Peter had grasped the truth and uh, so here's the question, folks, as we come near the end of this morning, here's the question. What are we feeding on? I believe that the Lord was primarily speaking, and we talked about eating his flesh. Yes, his word and all of that's part of it, but as well as that, I believe it was actually taking communion or breaking bread. There's something about that that uh, I believe Jesus was referring to. And we know that in uh, Luke Chapter 20, Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. Here's what Jesus said before he went to the cross. He said, he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And if you think about it, the bread, when we think of bread, we think of bread having to endure the heat of the oven. When we think of wine, we think of the wine, the grapes having to be crushed in the wine press before it can become wine. And you see, Jesus had to go through the heat of the oven of God's wrath against sin because sin had to be dealt with. And, and Jesus had to be crushed. He had to be crushed. Um, when we go to Israel, we go to a little village in Nazareth and they have a wine press there. And it, it always touches me so deeply when you see how the grapes are crushed in order to get the grape juice. And so today, ladies, I just want to say this to you. What are you feeding on? What am I feeding on? And I just wanted to read this to you the way I've written it down before we finish off. Nowadays, there's still some disagreement about the words of Jesus in relation to taking Holy Communion, which according to Scripture, I believe is not literally about eating his flesh or drinking his blood. But here's what I do believe. That communion is a powerful supernatural moment as we remember and freshly partake of all that God has done for us. As we eat the bread and drink the cup of wine or grape juice, we not only remember about what Jesus has done for us, but in ongoing faith, we again apply the truth to our lives that surely he has borne our griefs. And so I believe that as we come to remember him around the table to break bread, I believe we can come and we can remind ourselves and we can actually receive, receive from him 
as we know that he has actually borne our griefs. He is a God who can comfort us. And, and I believe when we come to the table, we can experience the comfort from the God who has borne our griefs. The other meaning of the, that word griefs in the original, actually it means sicknesses and pains. He's a God who paid the price for sickness and pain. He's a God who humbled himself and went to the cross. So surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. I believe when we go to uh, remember the Lord that there's a part of us that can receive again as we remember and we, we remember what he has done for us, we can receive that comfort and even for our sorrows. And then it says he was wounded, Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. That word transgressions means rebellion. That's what it literally means. Sin is rebellion against God. And I'll tell you, there's not one of us but hasn't rebelled in our lives to some degree. We're all guilty of being born in sin. And then it says, he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. I remember years ago someone explaining that the word iniquity has the idea not just of sin, but of that twistedness of sin. You know that nature that we all have is a bit of a twistedness in all of our nature. Every one of us, certain cir circumstances, and we just, it comes out because we were born in sin and shapen in iniquity. That's what it says. And by his stripes we are healed. There is therefore not only forgiveness, but comfort and healing. And I was reminded this morning of deliverance. There is deliverance when we come to remember what Jesus has done for us. There is healing and deliverance in the work of the cross. I wanted to read to you Matthew 8, verses 16 to 70. It says, when evening had come, this is Jesus, before he went to the cross, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out spirits with a word. He's a God who delivers. And he healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our sicknesses, our infirmities, and bore our sicknesses. And you see, when we believe and rest, remember what we said at the beginning, these signs were so that we would believe and rest and trust on Jesus as being the Son of God who came down from heaven to die, not just to forgive us our sins. Praise God, that's, that's, we need that. We must have our sins forgiven before we can go to heaven. But he's a God who wants to come and he wants to deliver us and he wants to heal us from that old nature and he wants he actually died and paid the price that we could become more like him he wants us he wants us to be changed by the power of what he's done as we look at his face and we remember what he's done he wants us to change from glory to, to glory to become more like him he wants to set us free coming to the communion table it reminds us of what he died for and i believe we can claim it as we come afresh in a fresh way. And so we're going to break bread this morning. And I know for some, we've never done this before in Egalus, and please do not feel you need to come up and partake. If you're used to doing it in your own church and in your own way and you prefer to keep it like that, that's absolutely fine. We will not be offended at all. But if you feel that you would like to come and partake, Jerry's going to lead us in a moment or two. But I just think it would be amazing if we could remember that this is the God who wants us to feed in him. And I want to read this before we go any further. 
something to think and pray about. Are we feeding on the love of God and his gift of forgiveness and healing and deliverance and all that he has done for us on the cross? Are we feeding on God's word on a daily basis? Or are we feeding on worry and anxiety? Sometimes we can just be taken over with worry and it's like we're just feeding ourselves on that old thing that just torments us. Are we feeding ourselves on some grudge because we refuse to forgive? Sometimes we we hold on, but the Lord reminds us that he has forgiven us and in the same way that he has forgiven us, we must forgive. If we want to know the freedom and the experience of the joy and the fullness of what Jesus paid for, we must forgive. There's no question about that. Are we feeding our souls on TV entertainment or some kind of sport or body fitness? Has that become like a god to us? Or are we feeding on personal achievements or material possessions? Perhaps we're feeding on increased knowledge. Or are we feeding on perceived highs through abuse of medication or drugs or alcohol? And another one, I was in the bathroom this morning getting ready and I was looking at myself in the mirror and the thought came to me, what about people who feed on shame? What about people who still allow shame to be part of who they are? Jesus died to take away your shame. Do you know that when you receive him as your saviour, that he washes you clean, he takes all the shame from you, and he wants you to be free to be the person that he created you to be. And so in a moment or two, we're going to to partake of these emblems. They're just emblems, but they speak of his flesh, his body. His body was perfect. It was a perfect body which God prepared to come to be the final sacrifice for sin. The crackers are broken because he gave his body. He broke the bread. He gave his body for our sins. He gave his body and he broke his body that we could be made whole. He wants us to know deliverance and he wants us to know freedom and he wants us to know that that he has made us whole and he wants us to know that we can be healed this morning by his stripes. We are healed. I believe this morning as we come, we can come to this table and whilst we don't see it as the real body and blood of Jesus, we don't come to it lightly. And in fact, uh, Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, it tells us, and Jerry's going to read this in a moment, but I want to read just one piece of it to you because it's really important that before, this is a very solemn thing that we're going to do this morning. And before we come, we need to remind ourselves that he was, uh, he was, um, wounded for our transgressions, but we need to see what it says in 1 Corinthians. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man or a woman examine himself or herself, and so let them eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. But if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. I believe this is, whilst it's not the body and or the blood of Jesus, literally, I do believe there's an element of supernatural power about coming to partake and remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us. Remind ourselves of the power of his death on the cross and his resurrection.
But it's so important that we actually do this, this examination of ourselves. Not to think we're perfect, but just to say, Lord, I just come, I examine myself, and if the Lord brings anything to mind, just to ask him to wash us and make us clean. That we can, it doesn't say, don't eat. It says, examine yourself and then eat. And I believe that we can come with expectancy as we come and we, by faith, receive whatever we need from this table today as we remember that Jesus has paid the price for our forgiveness, for our cleansing, for our healing, for our deliverance, for our freedom. It's all here. And we come and we come in faith to receive, believing that this is what he's paid for. And as we partake, we're reminded of the power that there is in the work of Christ. And I would love today that as we come with fresh hearts and open hearts, that actually we would receive by faith whatever it is we need to receive from the Lord this morning because he's, he's longing that you would come to him. He's longing that you would remember him. He doesn't want us to turn away. He wants us to turn towards us. And he wants us simply to know this, that when we judge ourselves, it actually warns us here that many, many people who are coming to the Lord's table, they're coming and they're not actually receiving forgiveness. They're not examining themselves. And he's saying actually that can result even in sickness. Even if people persevere and come to this sacred table and are not wiped clean by the blood of Jesus, this is very solemn, but it's saying actually not only can they be sick, but they can actually be dead. They can die. And so Paul's writing in Corinthians and he's encouraging us to come. Just a quick examination. He's a great God. He died to save you. He died to forgive you. And I just pray today, Lord, I pray that you will come and meet with us in the breaking of bread and the partaking of the cup as we remember Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We do this until Jesus comes. And we're just going to invite Jerry forward to read and then Jim will put on the music. And for those of you who want to come and partake, uh, Joyce and I and Jerry will go down and we will just come and we will just hold out the emblems to you that you can come and we can do this together as a family of women. And uh, I believe God wants to meet with us as we remember Jesus and partake of Holy Communion this morning in Jesus.